What's up, Zach? Hey, Coop. You know, we just had lunch. We did. We had bacon. We just had bacon. We did. We just literally had <laughs> only bacon and Oreos for, yeah, for okay, lunch so today. We We're in college. Um, but it had me thinking about some food. Okay. And there's a very common debate that's being had worldwide right now about hot dogs and if they are or are not sandwiches. Okay. And so I wanted to hear your thoughts on, do you think that a hot dog is a sandwich? So for starters, yes. I think a hot dog is a sandwich. Okay. I think that it is similar to a sandwich in the fact that you have meat in between two parts of bread. Right. You, I think it can be equated to a sub sandwich. Right. Yeah. It looks like a footlong from Subway. Yeah. It, it, not exactly, but it's right. a similar build. Yeah, exactly. So I've actually, my dad, we were FaceTiming, my family was FaceTiming last night and my dad brought up this concept and he actually pointed us to a chart okay. that kind of helps you identify what you are and it's called the sandwich alignment chart. Okay. And so I, I've just showed you like here, you can now see the sandwich alignment. So take a second to look at it. I'll kind of talk through what it is. Essentially you can be an ingredient purist, an ingredient neutralist or an ingredient rebel. And then there's the same options for structure. So a structure purist, a structure neutralist, or a structure rebel. And so as you can see, as you're looking at the chart, we'll post this on our Instagram. Yeah. It's going to make more sense when you see it. Yeah. So go ahead and go to at next gen leader podcast yep. on Instagram and you can see this sandwich alignment chart that we've posted. But Zach, I want to hear your initial thoughts as you've just had a chance to look through it. Kind of where do you fall? Okay. Here's what I'm seeing. I, I, I whew, this is a lot. It is a lot to take in. I don't think a wrap is a sandwich. I would agree. I agree that it's an ingredient purist and a structural rebel, but I think a pop tart is more of a sandwich than a wrap. Wow. I so know, I know it's bold. You want to be <laughs> you want to be quoted on the internet as claiming that a at a at its core a pop tart is in fact a sandwich. So, yeah, I think I think the picture of sandwich they have on here is a BLT. Yes, a BLT is a sandwich. Yep. But so is a peanut butter and jelly. Agree. Okay. So if you look at a Pop-Tart, it's it's kind of a calzone type. Okay. Okay. And so I think it is structurally new. No, structurally pure. Okay. And I think it's ingredient neutral. Okay. So I, genu- I genuinely think a pop, that's a Pop-Tart. Wow. Okay. So my mind quickly goes to, would you say that a Hot Pocket is a sandwich? Yeah. And then would you say that a pizza roll is a sandwich? <laughs> because so, those are some very similar. So, yeah, things. there's those, you know, those types of sandwiches that are really small cuts and you put the like uncrustables. Well, yeah, but okay. even smaller than that, like a little squares, but with a toothpick. Oh, in it. yeah, yeah, yeah. And like the little like so that colorful, would, clear stuff on the back to make it look ornate. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 So like that would be a form of a hot pocket sandwich that you could equate it to. OK, so Zach Funderburg on on the air live claims that a pizza roll is a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll claim it. I'll claim it. OK, and I think we both agree. It's hard to say that a wrap or a burrito is a yeah, sandwich. I don't think so. It's definitely ingredient pure, but it's structure. It's not. It's a burrito. Yeah. Like it's on the burrito spectrum. Yeah, I would agree. I, I Now, I think I'm different from you in that I would claim. I'm not sure that I could get to the place of saying a taco is a sandwich. No. I, but I but I don't I, I think I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I want to leave that up to the listeners. Kind of hear your thoughts. So please go look at our Instagram. Yeah. Again, it's at next gen leader podcast at next gen leader podcast and comment on our post and let us know what you think. Where do you fall? Where do you fall on the sandwich alignment chart? We're excited to have some healthy debate um, in the comments. Yeah. I mean, 
there's a lot to this. You have to take it in for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Go look at the picture, maybe read through it. Take a couple minutes to like debrief. Don't post your initial thoughts. Take seconds to, to really look over it and decide what you think. And join my team. Radical Sandwich Anarchy. A Pop-Tart is a sandwich. See, it's the exact same as, it, as an Uncrustable, except in a square form. Yeah, I think the Uncrustable really is what helps your case I know. There. A it's Pop-Tart's good. a sandwich. Hot take. You heard it here first. Wow. Zach, I thought I knew you, but now I, uh, I question our partnership with everything in me. Welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe great leaders are listeners, especially during their youth. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your host, Zach Funberg, here with my co-host, Coop McCullough. How are we doing, Coop? We're doing good. Again, I just I can't look at you the same way now that I know that you would claim a pizza roll to sandwich. <laughs> well... Facts don't lie. I mean, hey, you can't argue. With we'll let the viewers, the listeners decide. I really I'm very interested to see what they Me say. too. So please go comment on that. But in the meantime, we have a good episode today. Kobe. We have a really good episode. It's really, really good. You're right. You know who it is? Uh, I think that I do, but I'd love to let you say it. It's David Marvin. Wow. He is the director of The Porch at Watermark Community Church. If you don't know what The Porch is, go check them out on their podcast, Views from The Porch, or just The Porch Messages. Or if you're in Dallas on a Tuesday night and have nothing to do, come to Watermark with thousands of other young adults. Yep. And uh, it's really just a young adult gathering at Watermark with wonderful teaching. Shane and Shade lead worship. Yeah. And David Marvin and- is... Uh, at the forefront of that. Yeah. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's the largest Christian young adult ministry in the world. That's right. And That's so he he's the spearhead. Yeah, Obviously, he is. Christ is right, the spearhead, obviously. but Christ through the leadership of David Marvin. And he's incredible. He's an unbelievably good communicator. I remember when we first got to college, we went to the porch for we, we've been to the porch a lot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But when we first got to college, we went like regularly. And David Marvin's communication and the way that he uh, articulates the gospel in every message he brings completely transformed the way we teach, the way yeah. we speak, the way we even read scripture True. through the lens of finding the gospel, finding Jesus through it all. But today's episode, we talk about anxiety, which for young adults, especially in Dallas, in their 20s and 30s, who are coming to the porch is a hot topic. Absolutely. Like, especially in the time that we're in right now. Exactly. We're entering into what could be a recession, even more than that, uh, with this whole virus thing going around. Yeah. And it's people being unsure of what the future holds. Yeah. Uh, so David very beautifully today in this episode articulates how to handle anxiety, how to not let it completely take over your life, but have a healthy balance of planning, but not being fearful of what the future brings. Right. I think unfortunately it's perceived that the opposite of anxiety is this pride that it doesn't matter what the future holds. Right. And I love how David does a good job of kind of dismissing this idea to express like there is value in planning, but also not putting too much weight in your plan. Right. There's a huge difference between anxiety and faithful planning. That's right. Being faithful to follow the Lord's plans and plan out your steps because I mean, ultimately we know who holds the future. We know what holds our future and uh, we can be sure of that. So David does it well. We love him. And he was so fun to have on the episode. Hope you enjoy it. Here he is, David Marvin. David Marvin, thank you so much for being on, being with us. What's uh, up, guys? We're excited. Uh, Man, first, too. I want you just to introduce yourself. Where yep. do you come from? You're an Aggie. How do you get to where you are now? I'm an Aggie. My name is David. I direct a ministry called The Porch in Dallas, Texas, young adult ministry. I uh, was raised in Houston, Texas, go Astros, come went on. to Texas A&M University, like you said, and uh, have been on staff the last 11 years. Worked with student ministry for three years here with high school. 
and then moved over to the ports, which is young adults, 20s and 30-somethings, uh, eight years ago. That's so fun. Married, we, two kids. Probably the funnest part of my life is, that's is the best. that. So. We didn't connect on this before, but we can do it right now. Canacuck. Both yeah. Canacuck uh, guys. Come on. We heard you were as well. Yeah. Where'd you go to, or did you work there? Or we did. There? Was camper there and then worked to K1 okay. for the past couple summers. And Jonathan, who's not on the mic, was at? He's a yeah. camp out guy. Oh, yeah, you were? Camp. Come it's on. It's been fun. I love it. So, I was at K2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With so, Shay Robbins, who we've also had on the podcast, from what I heard. Come on, Shay. <laughs> so, if Shay, if you're listening, just a quick shout out. That's awesome. Yes, I love Shay Robbins. It was on Leadership at K2 for um, a few years up there. So Unreal. Love Canacook. It's awesome. Well, David, we want to dive into to our topic today, which is anxiety and leadership. Yeah. I feel like anxiety is something that's just been riddling our generation, my generation specifically. If you ask somebody what they're struggling with, yeah. you can almost guess it's some sort of anxiety. Yeah. And there's a lot of factors in that. So we want to break it down. A lot of porch messages on anxiety that if you want to go um, check those out as well. But totally. I want to start with, with what is it? Where does it come from? What's the root of anxiety and how do we face it? And it's a, a big question. I think, um, I think in neutral, when anyone faces uncertainty, if they don't have uh, a strong relationship with Jesus in the soil of uncertainty is going to grow fear. And so it's interesting because un- uncertainty is the same soil that faith grows in. Like you can't have faith right. without uncertainty and you can't have it in the same way fear takes place and takes root in the soil of uncertainty. So I think, um, I think it's really a natural response to anyone who's not walking intimately with Jesus. Like it makes sense that, dude, you should be terrified and anxious all the time if you don't know God. Right. I mean, you're driving down the road at 70 miles an hour and your car could fall apart and you're going dead and then you're going to hell. It's a very anxious thing. And, um, and I'm kind of making light of it, but, but I think it's just a byproduct of living in this world. And that's where as Christians, we have the solution to uh, that fear and that it can be overcome by faith or we're called to live by faith, not to be you know without fear, but to be courageous through our faith. So I think in leadership, you know, the biggest thing for leadership as it relates to anxiety is you can begin to buy the lie that this entire thing, whatever you're leading, your success, your future is dependent on you right. and your efforts. And it's a really insidious lie because there's some truth in it as the worst lies are. Like there's some connectedness to, you know, in my organization, um, the porch's success has some connection to my faithfulness. Like if I'm unfaithful, don't love God, cheat on my spouse, I'm a total hypocrite and all that stuff. I mean, hopefully the porch falls apart. Right. Um, and, uh, and so there is some way in which that's true, but the lie is that, uh, either I have the wrong definition of success, uh, in whatever leading, whatever thing you're leading, or that, um, it is entirely on me. And that my job is anything other than, hey, just be faithful today. Every day has enough trouble of its own. I'm going to be faithful with what Jesus has called me to do today. And when I live in that space, I can walk by faith and not allow fear and the uncertainty and just facing the future to overwhelm and create anxiety. Right. So. I think in our generation, it's inevitable. And specifically in leadership, if you're leading people and you're carrying anxiety as well, it's just like carrying a giant medicine ball. Yeah. Okay. And it's just holding you back from experiencing the freedom of really leadership and life without it. Yeah. So how would a leader face that or look at that? Hey, I'm I'm leading people, but I'm carrying this just medicine ball of anxiety around. Mm-hmm. How would you, if you were sitting across from a leader and, and you would encourage them in that way, what would you tell that person? I think I would ask. I'd give more specifics on whatever they're anxious about. Right. And then I would tell them to do what First Peter chapter five says, which is cast 
all of your anxieties on God because he cares for you. Everything you care about, bring those things to God. Everything you're thinking about, everything that's weighing you down, it's a perfect verse for what you're describing because anxiety is like a weight that pulls us down, distracts us from being present in the moment, robs us of experiencing life. It, it's it's like choking you out. And I would take all those and I would, through prayer, cast those on God, bring them to him. Um, and as you walk with God, you're reminded that the scriptures and the Bible teaches God is for you. Everything that he's going to allow is going to be worked out for your good. He loves and cares about you. You can bring all your cares to him because he cares to you. And he's invited you to bring those. So I would, moment by moment, there's no silver bullet here like, hey, this is anxiety is going to go away in a moment. But I would bring those things to God and be honest. Hey, I'm, I'm anxious about, you know, making the decision to come on and do a residency program at Watermark next year. I'm anxious about whether that's actually the right step. God, will you help me to trust you? Will you direct me if that's not where you have me to go? And will you help me to not buy the lie that my life is dependent on where I work for the next 12 months or 11 months or 10 months. And, and just, um, so I would have other people around him, making sure he has people who know God and are like a community group. We would, we would say that can help shoulder some of that Galatians chapter six, verse one talks about bearing each other's burdens and and doing so you fulfill the law of Christ. And, and, um, so yeah, I would have him walk in community and bring those moment by moment, everything that you care about, God cares about because you cared about. So I'd bring those to him through prayer. Mm -hmm. And Paul says, when you do that, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, according to Philippians chapter four, will begin to guard your heart and mind because you know, God cares for me. He's for my good. He's going to work it out. He's got me. I can trust him. I can trust him. I can trust him. So that's good. And I think it plays kind of into, into confidence of where you put your confidence in. So what's kind of the correlation between anxiety and confidence? Where do those two words kind of fit together? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, what's funny is you guys know the root or like the breakdown of the word confidence. Tell me with, or wait, so it's con yeah. with, yeah. right? Yeah. If you've been around watermark, Fiden you've heard this probably. Oh, Oh, what's the second part? Yeah, you got with, it. With... Uh, Fideo, with faith. With faith, that's so right. Like, hey, to have faith. I think confidence can get a bad rap. The goal is not um, to not be confident. It is about what has you confident. Mm. And so if, if um, you know, people hate on someone being just... They have too much confidence or cocky or any of that. The goal is not to be without confidence. It's to make sure that what has you confident is coming from the source of scripture, from God, from your relationship with him, your identity that he says you are in Christ and, um, and that he's promised to work all things out for good. Like it's going to be okay. I can face whatever God has ahead of me and um, not because of how much I have in my bank account, because that's not where my confidence comes from. Not because of, you know, the health of my family or myself or, you know, today, but because God is at work, he's in control. I can trust him. I don't have control. I never will, but he does. And he loves me. And if I allow those two things to come together, peace begins to be experienced. So, yeah. And it's putting your confidence in what's eternal. And I'm, I'm not going to steal this quote because it's from you in a porch message you gave, but confidence in anything temporary is temporary. And, and that's where anxiety comes from. If yeah. you put your, your confidence in something that's temporary, it's going to temporarily, it, it's going to disappoint. Yeah, but when you put great. your confidence in things that are eternal, 
that's when you find the joy and freedom of living and leading without anxiety. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think that quote is where it's at. I love that quote. Come on, man. Got that from your message. That's awesome. I it, forgot that quote. You could have told me that was yours. And I'd be like, man, that's strong, dude. So <laughs> I should have. Should have owned it. Uh, sounds familiar, but man, that's good. <laughs> well, really, we want to find a why behind our anxiety. And I think that's where a lot of people fall short. A lot of people miss it is they can't find the why or the root cause behind anxiety. They go to counseling, they keep getting asked question after question. Yeah. And the search is the why. So how do we find the why behind our anxiety? Um, I think, I think you have to have enough introspection, like and self-reflection to stop. And, and sometimes it's really hard to do this in the moment. So you need good friends around you that can be like, why are you anxious? Like, let's say Jonathan, who's going to do a 12 month program after this, uh, in ministry next year, actually at Watermark. He's anxious about going to do that. I'm not saying you are making it up, but let's say you're like, man, I'm just worried or you're getting married in a month. Yeah. You're worried. That's a better one. Hey, I'm, I'm just worried. Uh, you know, am I making a mistake? Am I marrying the wrong person? Uh, like, oh man, I'm just paralyzed by like anxiety, cold feet. Is this normal? Is it a sign from God? What does it mean? And having friends around you and the discipline yourself to go, what am I anxious about? Okay. I'm anxious. Maybe I'm marrying the wrong person. What would it mean to marry the wrong person? Like, is she a Christian? Does she love Jesus? Okay, so biblically, the wrong person would be someone who's not a Christian and doesn't love Jesus. Okay, but she checks those. Okay, um, so it's not that. Well, I'm just worried that maybe I don't have what it takes. Okay, do you think anyone has what it takes? And so if I was in your community and you were in that real life scenario, I would be like, what does it take in order to make a marriage work? Well... Um, the world says emotional infatuation. Okay. Well, but everyone clearly sees that doesn't work. What does it actually take to make a marriage work? Scripturally, Ephesians chapter five says that husbands should pick up their cross, love their wives, lay down their life like Jesus did for his bride. It takes a continual dying to self and putting the needs of the other person in front of you. You don't have what it takes and you never have what it takes and never will have what it takes, but Christ does. And you're not ever going to get to a place where until you're married and you're dying daily, you even uh, are able to live out what it takes, which is a constant dying independence. So a lot of times in this one marriage example is just one example of we get caught in that fog where we think there's some, uh, there's just lies that we don't even realize we're believing. Like, man, if they if they were the right person, then nothing in the world could ever separate us. We'll just perfectly love and, mm. and I wouldn't be anxious about marriage. That's just a lie. Marriage is one day of dying to yourself and caring for the person and their needs before you or the job career thing. Like we can get paralyzed with, man, am I in the right place? Maybe this is the wrong job. Okay. Biblically, what does it mean to have the right job? Okay. Um, are you selling, you know, drugs and smuggling them across the border? That probably wouldn't be the right job, but mostly we're wondering like, is this the right career path? Am I pursuing the right thing? And, um, biblically, God is more concerned about how you work, where you work, than where you work. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 says, whatever you do, work as though you're working for the Lord and not for man. So there's a lie that in that scenario, if you're worried about your next job, you're believing, which is, hey, I'm supposed to find some perfect fit that it's always going to be easy, and I may miss the will of God if I'm not really careful and listening to it. Well, I guess, sure, that's possible. Right. Generally speaking, um, as it relates to career, it's a, it's not a black and white issue. It's a gray flip a coin and wherever you end up landing work, like God calls you to work, mm -hmm. leverage 
the career relationships that you have to honor him, to bring others to know him, to work with integrity, to do what Titus chapter two does in everything, the way that I work, I want to make the teachings of our Lord and Savior Jesus, which is what it says there, more attractive to those that I work with and work around. So does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And I think with that, a lot of the anxiety with decision-making comes with the grass is always greener mentality, which yeah. can also kind of play into your answer there. It's not where you work necessarily, but how you work. Yep. But how do we fight that if I'm looking at a decision and then I make one, but then I'm always thinking about, hey, the grass is greener over there. I'm in this job, but I could be making more money there. I could be feeling more purpose yeah. there. How do we fight against the anxiety of the grass is greener? Man, I think... Um you know, the old lie of comparison is a thief of joy is so true. It's right. it's just, it's always going to be there. No matter which road you take, you're always going to wonder what if. And it's really an unhelpful thing. I think mm -hmm. you have to convince yourself and believe at a heart level. That's a really unproductive thing for me to sit here and wonder, what if I would have married Sally, not my wife, Callie? I could do that. It just is not going to be beneficial to my marriage. It's not going to be helpful. It's going to lead nowhere good. And I think the enemy will try to like make you sit in that in order to paralyze, in order to create doubt, in order to create division, in order to get you to not actually do the things that he's called you to do, whether it's where you're working or whether it's who you're marrying. And um, so I think you've got to really believe that is a lie. It's not helpful. It's not productive. It doesn't make sense. It's always going to be there. And um, that discontentment I can, because comparison is essentially discontent. Right. And biblically, we are called to have lives that are marked with contentment because, according to Philippians chapter four, we know Jesus and a relationship with him, Paul says, is the secret to being content no matter what I face. And, um, so that may be just a zoom over answer to your question. No, it's good. It's kind of a high level answer. Going off of that and comparison, I think something that fosters that a lot in our, our generation now is social media. So let's break down social media, something that is temporary, but something that is is where people find their hope and find their value. And I even found myself today of like in the middle of a big decision and wanting to kind of find this escape of, of just going to social media just to scroll. So how how can we fight that? How do we fight the comparison of social media that lead, leads to anxiety? Because I think that is what's killing a lot of of my generation of MD. totally man we're gonna find out that like social media is responsible for so much mental illness in like 20 years i'm sure right. but um i think you expose it you know the truth you reject the fact that everyone's putting their highlight reel out there all the time if you look at my instagram or my twitter anything that's on social media it's not actually real life every picture that's up there doesn't tell the story of oh we were in conflict right before this or I just found out that a close friend is, you know, is sick or having some health issues or whatever. So I, I just think you don't fall for the lie. Um, it's a little bit like, uh, did you guys watch like, do you have cable? Uh, yes. Today Show, you know what that is? I've heard of the Today Show. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> right. So you remember, what, you know, Matt Lauer, remember that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, dude, Matt Lauer got on TV every day and he was like, hey, this is Matt Lauer. Just thanks for joining in America. It's the Today Show. And sat there and they all had smiley faces and everything looked so pretty. And then you find out that he was sexually abusing tons and tons of women. Right. Those all tight, like the Me Too, it's why he's out of a job. Just such toxic, dysfunctional things. But every day he sat there and smiled. Ever since that happened, it kind of transform the way that I look at those right. TV shows or like Good Morning America Today Show. Because every once in a while, a scandal comes out and you're like, oh, they look so happy and life is so great and this is awesome. And then you find out like he's abusing his family mm. or uh, he's, you know, 
addicted to something and everything that looks so happy was all so fake. That's really what social media is. And I think as a generation, we have bought the lie that it's anything other than that. Like it really is. And it's fine. I'm not right. saying you shouldn't, you know, if you go to the fair and you want to post a picture, do it. <laughs> but, um, but I think if you can't separate fact from fiction and know that this doesn't tell the entire story. Right. And all that I'm looking at is everyone else's highlight reels. And all I'm confronted with on a daily basis is my low light reels. Mm. Then um, it's going to do something really dysfunctional and unhealthy. You probably should get off. Like if you can't look at something and be like, oh, yeah, huh. They they really they don't have the perfect life. Um, then you probably shouldn't be on social media. But it's definitely feeding something really unhealthy. Right. I think that breaks down into two questions I have for you. The first being your personal social media usage. Yeah. Of I, I find it distracting and sometimes a waste of time. And I can find myself in just the black hole of the endless scroll, we call yeah. it, of just scrolling and scrolling, and it's not productive. So you, you have social media, Instagram, Twitter, so on. How do you intake it healthily? Healthily, if that's the word. Yeah. How do you healthily intake social media? Um. Man, I'm like getting old, so I feel like I'm bad at social media, and I have like people that will like help me and be like, "Dude, let me let me teach you how to use social media." <laughs> um, and uh, so I think everybody's different. I think there's some people who use it to stay connected to grandma, and then there's some people, or because you know, grandma, that's the only place you're gonna like see. There are some cool benefits, right? I know totally. people I went to high school with, like I know that they have kids, and I never would have known that 15 years ago because right. I, I don't have their phone number. I'm not gonna pick them up and be like. Hey, congrats. Um, and now I can just say, man, twins, that's awesome. You know? Right. And so there's some, there's some real benefits, but I think you got to know yourself and you got to know your ditches and you got to know, is this a distraction so going on a fast? Mm. If you're reluctant to go on a social media fast, you probably should go on a so social media fast. Right. The reason I say reluctant is the guy who's not is like, oh, I haven't checked in like six years anyways. Like that person, um, is, it's not going to be as difficult, but the person who's like, oh, what am I going to do all day then when I get bored? <laughs> yeah. You probably should go on a fast because you're feeding something. And the more you feed anything, the more it's going to grow. And um, so I think you've got to know yourself. you got to know like, man, I'm drifting towards I veg when I look at that. Social media is a little bit of oh, – man, I'm going to lose everybody in the audience – it, it, it's just like not my thing. It, yeah. I like have to work at it. And there's actually, I mean it, there's people on our staff who are like, hey, let me help you. Give me that picture. <laughs> I'll, I'll teach you how to edit the photo. So it doesn't look bizarre. Yeah. And, um, and so, but, but it could easily, there's a thousand other things that could right. hold my attention or, um, you know, flipping through, uh, purchasing things or Craigslist looking for a deal or things right. that I need to keep a death grip on that are just not helpful or healthy. Right. So. And then on the other side of that coin is the what I put on social media. If you, when you're talking to a person about, hey, it's not always perfect. And I think a lot of it comes down to the lens you look at what people post. Yeah. But talk to the person about what they do actually post because you're posting pictures. But you don't also want to be the guy that's always like, uh, don't want to always portray the perfect relationship. Me and so, so and so getting a fight yeah. all the time. So what's the balance there of like self-deprecation almost and then humility, but also just posting vulnerable, being real? Uh, on social media? I don't know, man. That's it's hard. I just thought of that. Yeah, no, I, I really don't. Um, it's, I think the, the weird thing about social media is you're, you're doing nothing but managing people's perception. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people even put the like, here I, like I think of the almost cliche girl with no makeup on and here I right. am and just look at me, all the imperfections. And what she's trying to do is still manage perception because exactly. she's trying to be like, hey, look at me. I, I can display that even though 
I normally look like I have it together. I don't so that you connect with me. And I want you to think that, you know, even in that we can bond because right. uh, I want you to follow me. So I, I don't know that maybe the cynical or skeptic side of me, totally. but I just wouldn't overthink it. I wouldn't let it be a distraction. I would, um, there are some ways I've said many times, the apostle Paul would love social media because mm-hmm. with the click of a button, you can share the gospel to thousands or millions, and um, and that's incredible. Right. So I would be thoughtful. I would be modest. It's probably the better thing most people should be think, thinking about is like, what am I posting, and what am I, tr- how am I trying to cover up insecurities with what I'm posting, or how am I, um, man, just posting inappropriate pictures or the pictures that I am naive and that they may lead people to stumble. Right. So. I, I love managing people's perception and, and being humble and being uh, having humility, but also just posting, hey, this is real life. I think mm-hmm. it's really good. Back to just anxiety as we as we wrap up. Another one of your quotes, also not going to not gonna claim it. Uh, the goal is not to find more confidence in yourself. It's to find a source of confidence outside of yourself. So back yeah. to confidence with faith, yeah. finding the faith in Jesus. <laughs> I want to just give you a chance to just talk about your source. Where does your source of confidence come from, and how does that affect the way that you view and fight anxiety? Yeah. I think it's got to come from God's word and through God's word, your understanding of God and also through God's word, your understanding of who you are. Mm. So it's in God's word that I find both of those. I'm reminded that he's in control of everything. I have never had control. My body couldn't in, a, in at 10 seconds, um, you could have an aneurysm and die and you've never been in control and I'll never see my family again and I'll never um, have another chance to talk about anxiety with anybody and I can allow that to just like cripple me or I can go, God has numbered my days. He's in control. He's for me. He has a plan that even when I can't see it or understand it, he's working for good. So I further not finding my identity in what people think about me or in how much I make or in how many followers I have on Instagram, but in who God says that I am, that I have been given the highest title of an adopted forgiven and um, adopted child of God. And that there's no role or seat or position that I'm going to hold that has greater worth than that. And and in knowing that and seeking to believe that and be reminded of that and renew my mind around that, it can really, it brings freedom from pursuing that confidence coming from anywhere else. So I think knowing who God is and knowing who you are, uh, which both come from having an understanding of, of the scriptures, which yeah. tell you both of those. That's so good. So. As we land the plane, David, I just want to give you the mic and say, hey, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Look at that 20-year-old David Marvin, the, the Aggie. Yeah. What would you tell that person? What advice do the 20-year-olds need to hear? Um, I would go all in with Jesus, and I would run with the right people. I think one of the biggest protections in life and the biggest destructions of your future is going to be connected to who we run with. So if you run with the wrong people, people who don't know God or or even just claim to be Christians, but they really don't like love Jesus. Right. Um, you are going to be influenced by them. They're going to influence and shape who you're going to marry, the direction your life is headed, uh, the person that you're going to become. So I would go all in. You know, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 says, remember your creator in your youth. God is a young man's God. I would go all in. And really I would emphasize, hey, are you running with idiots or fools or even just kind of like quasi-Christian good guys or quasi-Christian good girls. Because if that's who you're running with, they're going to impact you and you're not going to be able to go all in with Christ. You're not going to be headed in a direction that that I think you're going to like. Right. And um, it's it's going to shape the future 
who you are in 10 years and who you're becoming. So um, that we hit on community so much because who you're around, you really are, you know, show me your friends. I'll show you your future. You're the sum of your five closest friends. It's huge. And, um, and you know, your introduction to great things and terrible things are going to be connected to the people that you surround yourself with. So I would make sure you um, prioritize your relationship with Christ in your life and prioritize being around people who prioritize that in their life. That's huge. Find your source of confidence in Jesus Christ alone and surround yourself with people who are going to push you closer to him. David, that's that's, that's it. That's the key to and wear sunscreen. Okay. Of course. Wear sunscreen. That, Look, that, that, that one tough. came out of the right field. You can't, but that's huge. You know, that's, you don't want to end up with some sort of melanoma or something. It's been tested <laughs> and proven to work. So we never want to do that. Well, David, thanks for your time. Yeah, one man. more thing. Uh, you got a big conference coming up. We do. You want to talk about that, any? Yep. Awaken Conference. If you are uh, interested in joining us, Memorial Day weekend, thousands of young adults and college students are coming to Dallas, Texas for the Awaken Conference. You can go to awaken.live to find out more information. And uh, we are really excited. We are exploring the theme of redefining church. Mm. We want to rightly define church in the minds of this generation. That's what the porch really is, is we're trying to, to get people out of like Church is stuffy, boring, dull, irrelevant, and help them see what the Bible says church should be, which is a place that's full of grace and truth. It's alive. It's engaging. It's authentic. It's relevant to my life because those are all things that Jesus was. And we as the church are the body of Christ, the closest the world will ever get to Jesus. And um, so anyways, that's what it is. You can go to awaken.live for more info or find the porch at theporch.live. But fun to get to be with you guys, man. Love it. Thanks for your time, David.